2: All right, Carl, thanks very much. And welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally's moment of truth is a huge week of earnings getting underway now, including mega cap tech over the next few days. We'll debate what is really at stake for stocks with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Kevin O'Leary, Steve Weiss, and Joe Terranova. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon in the east, and we have some green across the board here, near 400 points for the Dow, 1.2%. S&P trying to get to a 1% gain. It's the NASDAQ pulling up the rear a bit today. A third of a percent yields are Behaving. Let's put it to you that way, 420 on the 10-year, one of the reasons why you do have stocks uh, where they are today. You got 30% of the, Dow, uh, of, the, of the S&P reporting, 40% of the Dow. You got the global PMI number, which was weak. Bad news, good news, apparently, for some investors out there trying to push the market higher. We're going to get to all of that, and you know what kind of week it is. But we are going to get to all of that in a moment because we have something first, and it's Kevin O'Leary. Mr. Wonderful, on a day when a lot of people are talking about meta... And we'll get to the reasons why they're talking about it. You're selling it. You sold it a couple of weeks ago, you say. Why?
3: The time had come. Um, You know, we have a big loss in Meta, like many, many investors have. We're starting to face year-end tax loss selling kicks into play. Uh, But that wasn't the reason. Clearly, the the move into the the Metasphere and the model that's going to exist when it exists is way out there. Everybody knows that. But when I start to see activists beat it up and start to push on every single angle, this is before the note. The, the, the rumors are in the street that, there, that many shareholders were unhappy and pushing at the company. So you know that that is going to put pressure on the stock, just from the fact that shareholders like me are facing year-end and saying, I've got to sell some of my losers. So between now and December 15th, the stock is going to be under tremendous pressure because it's an institutional holding around 2.5%. When people look through a reason to own it going forward in a slowing economy, it's really hard to stay long. And I'm just like everybody else. I looked at it and said, where can I deploy this capital elsewhere? There's many other options where there's great value and less pressure on this whole metaverse issue. And I sold it. And we took a huge hit on it. Sometimes you get it wrong. I got it wrong on Facebook slash meta. And now I'm willing to move on and look at it again in the future. I'm willing to look at this stock again when you can prove to me what Metaverse looks like and what the business model is like. okay? because I believe in billions of users.
2: so so you're not the only, as you suggest, uh, unhappy shareholder. I think we can characterize uh, Brad Gerstner as somewhat frustrated. um he He wrote an open letter. He, of course, of Altimeter, who's a frequent guest on our program, and many of you know, Uh, his views on the matter. He has been a steadfast supporter of Meta, Facebook uh, and their management team. However, he writes an open letter today. Uh, Here it is. It's to Zuckerberg and to the board in which he says, quote, Meta has drifted into the land of excess. Too many people, too many ideas, too little urgency. This lack of focus and fitness is obscured when growth is easy but deadly when growth slows and technology changes. The facts, he says, are startling In the last 18 months, Metastock is down 55 percent compared to an average of 19 for its big tech peers. Your P.E. ratio has fallen from 23 times to 12 times. Now trades at less than half the average P.E. of your peers. And notably, this decline in share price mirrors the lost confidence in the company, not just the bad mood of the market. And then he goes on, Weiss, to recommend a three step plan uh, in which he thinks will help fix the situation. He just says simply to me when I talked to him earlier, the age of excess is over. And they need to lose some of the weight that they had on when times were rich. And now they're going to be more lean and they need to be leaner and meaner. This one may be more than most because of all the reasons that Gerstner laid out for the reason why the stock is down so much. What do you think?
4: Well, first of all, Brad's a great investor. We know that. We've seen his numbers time and time again. uh, And his ideas are all good ones. But the question is, are they going to take hold? And the answer firmly is no. That Zuckerberg's not going to do 180 and say, hey, I'm giving up on on the metaverse uh, he changed the name of the company to it so I came on the show a couple of weeks ago and I said I'd be a seller and I'm not ready to short it because of the valuation but the time will come because the metaverse unlike look at how Facebook got into business right they didn't necessarily they weren't necessarily the first ones on to do the Facebook I mean you had my doing it but it was a category they essentially created and they won they're late to the metaverse because you've got Unity, you've got Epic Games, et cetera, and it's there's it's a commodity basically, and you don't know what that's going to be. So it's going to be 10 years, even if it's only five billion they're spending, it's still quite a bit. While their core business is atrophying a little. Well, see, one of the problems that, I would own it.
2: One of the problems that Gerstner has is he he says the they have let the narrative. Brenda, you own the stock too. Um, He says they have let the narrative take hold that they are only focused on on the metaverse and all they care about is getting to that pivot point whenever that is down the road. And it obscures the fact of how strong the the core business is as if they don't care about it anymore. And it's, you know, the metaverse or bust. Now, I'm curious as to what you think as a fellow shareholder like Gerstner, a former shareholder like O'Leary, and whether you're thinking about making a similar bounce out of this thing.
5: We are not considering selling it at this point, just given the valuation is so down and out. And we agree that the core business is, is, is strong. I mean, there's 3 billion daily active users. There's a lot of value there and certainly a significant competitive advantage within the industry. But I agree with Brad Gerstner. You know, this is a time when you know especially during times of crisis or times of economic downturn that many companies can use to relook at their core business and figure out how to cut costs they could certainly change the narrative uh, without changing the name of the company back to Facebook, but change the narrative so it's not as focused on metaverse and certainly as focused on this incredible core asset that they have uh, with the core business. So that is why we're continuing to own it because of the value we see in the core business, uh, not because of growth we see coming from the metaverse potentially. Um, But we would hope that during times like this, the management team would refocus on profitability and focus on that core
2: business. Yeah, Joe, I mean, they've been spending a fortune. He wants them to reduce headcount uh, by at least 20%, reduce annual capex by at least 5 billion, limit investment in the metaverse reality labs to no more than 5 billion per year. He thinks the benefit of uh, these adjustments would increase free cash flow by at least $20 billion in the short timeframe of 2023. Now, if you recall, as I said, he was a steadfast supporter of, of Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg when she was there and the investment that he had made in the company. However, you could sense that cracks were starting to show in his you know, belief in what they were doing now and where it was all heading for the future the last time he was on with us, which wasn't all that long ago. I want you to listen to what Gerstner said to us on September
6: 15th. And I think uh, uh, I probably defended their management and the biz model more than most but I will say that I have grown quite frustrated. Um, I think they've done an absolutely lousy job of explaining this transition to the street. Um, Here's a business that's doing 125 billion in revenue, that's trading at six and a half times next year's EBITDA, that's universally hated. The prevailing view is that the business model is dead, that Mark panicked last fall, he renamed the company, that he's running around with AR, VR glasses on, and their best days are behind them. I think there's an alternative view here that this is like Google in 2011 or 2012.
2: You want to take that on? That's Gerstner from, you know, September 15th, not
7: that long ago at all. Can we get Brad on the board so he can make some of these initiatives happen? Because that's exactly what we need to do. Brenda said it, 4 billion active users for Facebook. How many active users for Horizon Worlds, the VR platform that was introduced with this vision towards the metaverse, 200,000. We're catering towards those 200,000 active users. We're talking about hardware. Do consumers in the metaverse want hardware or to your point, Roblox, Epic Games? They want the experience. They don't want a 1499 VR headset. This is a company that has completely lost its focus. I would call into question if the employee base actually supports the direction of Mark Zuckerberg. He has lost in the last several months the head of the acquisition team that brought on WhatsApp and Instagram. How important is WhatsApp and Instagram to this company? 2.5 billion WhatsApp users, 1 billion Instagram users. So you look at the stock, you say to yourself, it's trading at a level that it hasn't seen since January of 2017. I get that it's cheap. It deserves to be cheap. We're yeah. also coming into an environment where we're going to have an economic contraction. You're going to have to worry about ad spending. None of this sets up well for Facebook. I wouldn't step forward and buy Meta here uh, unless we can get some real strong initiatives from Brad and other people and move Mark Zuckerberg well, back but, but to but the, the problem. The issue
4: is also, when you cut 25% of your workforce, do you have any idea how destabilized that is? It's already so destabilized. The entire company? And the best people are the ones that can leave. They're the mobility. So they can go wherever they want to go. So you can believe that other tech companies are trying to pick off their people. Well, that's part of Gersner's
2: point is like, look, I, I don't want, I know I'm calling for them to get leaner. And, you know, I'm a, 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 I have a good sense of humanity about me. Right. I don't want, you know, these people have families and people to pay their rents and their jobs and send their kids to school and all, everything else. Um, but the job market out there is strong enough that they will be, sucked up by by other firms on that note. Now, Kevin, the voting structure of Facebook means that these in reality are mere suggestions. Nothing more because they can't be more because Zuckerberg's got all the power. And, you know, whether you whether you think he thinks he knows everything or not, who knows whether he's going to listen to any of these suggestions or not.
3: My contact in that company for years has been Cheryl. She obviously recently left. I spent many hours with her talking about the vision of building this business because it was our number one spend. And by the way, in my small company portfolio, it's still the number one spend we use for digital advertising. The yields have gone up considerably now in the last few months as people have figured their way around the Apple privacy issues. So I agree with others that said there's value. There is value here. Zuckerberg, and this really points to the whole idea of dual voting class shares. All these ideas we're talking about right now could be made pressure if if you had the right one vote. And and you don't. And so if you don't like where Zuck is going, and it sounds like in this investment panel, there's not a lot of fans. You don't want to own this stock because it's going to be many years before we figure out this curated metaverse. Yeah. I believe there's something there. I believe there's something there, but you can't do anything about it. You can't force a board member on there. I just think in his own world that he lives in, he must be feeling the pressure from his own employee base saying, "Boss, where the hell are you taking this ship?" That's what's going on right now. And I think he's going to have to listen to that even just to keep the ship floating and moving forward. I mean, unless he's the there's imperial one who doesn't
2: there. care, I don't I, I don't I don't know. The other the well, point of this whole conversation is how you've made the pivot away from Meta and you've bought more Alphabet and you're adding more Microsoft as well ahead of you know, a week in which we say this is for all the marbles, so to speak.
3: Well, I did that for one reason. I'm still a big believer in the digital economy 2.0 that we're emerging out of. I don't care what happens in terms of recession. That ship is left. There's no question that digital advertising, I just came back from Week in New York, Digital advertising is still strong, believe it or not. We're waiting for this recession. But the allocation to digital is never changing. It's never going back to the old ways. And so when you start to think about yields on digital advertising, you start to think about the engines that Microsoft created, what's going on in Alphabet and Google. These are places that are very, very, very much part of the infrastructure. So why not take the cash that I got out of selling? meta and put it across those two. I don't want to leave leave the sector. I want to be exposed to it. I believe in enterprise, I believe in digital, I believe in what's going to happen. And I like the fact, not like Facebook, but Microsoft has taken out the machete and they've got the whacking stick out out of employees. And the same thing's gonna happen at Google. They're gonna downsize to the new market, whatever it ends up being. And we still don't know what that looks like. You can't tell me we're in a recession yet. I can't even hire anybody.
2: So everybody last week when we asked which, you know, everybody who was on the show that day when we asked, so who are you who are you most confident about heading into this week? And who are you most concerned about from a tech standpoint? Everybody said confident most in in Microsoft. Um, One person, I think, suggested they were most concerned about Apple, um, which, Brenda, you say you are. Um, You're underweight, the stock. But why is that the one on Thursday that jumps out to you the most is the one to be most concerned about?
5: Yeah, we are underweight Apple and we're most concerned because Apple is very tied to a global consumer and was also an enormous beneficiary of spending during the pandemic time. And so we think that the consumers may well take a break here, uh, particularly because more than 60% of their revenue comes from overseas. So it's not just the American consumer we have to be worried about here. So that gives us some pause. And the stock is also, it's come down a little bit, but it's still relatively expensive compared to the rest of the group. So for that reason, I think amongst those, you know, four big, big cap, cap tech names, you know, Apple's the one we're a little most concerned about in terms of overall top-line trends here.
2: Weiss, you got out of it recently, didn't you?
4: Yeah, I did. And uh, You're,
2: after being, I think it's fair to say, Joe, a, a half-hearted holder, so to we, speak, for the last many years. It's kind of, yeah. You owned it because you felt you had to. Well,
4: there was no. No, innovation. I wouldn't say that. Come
2: on, I, man, you dumped on that thing for forever. I, I we wish, both know that's true.
4: I wish I brought my Series Eight watch with me uh, that I just bought. And my new, I've, I've got my 14 right here. Well,
2: that's good. For a, yeah. for a company you've suggested doesn't innovate, you certainly buy the uh, latest greatest.
4: Yeah, no, I, I don't, the only thing he invented was the number 14. I don't think. It yeah, four, right. Four, that's yeah. why you went out and bought um, it right away. Look, it doesn't matter if they innovate or not. They don't innovate. Okay. The, you know, but We're not going to have that point. conversation. I want exactly. to know exactly. about. Exactly. So know, let, what- me, let me rein you back in, Scott, and talk about Please. what I think is going on this week. So everything Brenda says, absolutely right. Uh, their non-U.S. revenues and the currency impact, which I think could be severe. The fact they've got a premium-priced product, and we're seeing the consumer—not uh, the high-end consumer—but they sell to all consumers taking on gas. However, though, what I'd say is, I traded this in; it cost me 300 bucks because I was able to get 800 for my iPhone 10. So as long as the telco companies want to subsidize everybody buying a phone, they'll be okay in their phone sales. But I think the risk is to the downsides, 22 times earnings next year, and growth is, I'd say, about 10% less than 10%. They deserve a premium for the brand, but that much, I don't know. So I think this is really in a trading range. If the stock comes down because they miss, it's going to go right back up because they've missed a number of times. It's always had a V-shaped recovery. I don't see that as being any different this
2: time. Amazon is our preferred mega cap. That's according to
7: MKM today. What do you make about that call heading into this week? Amazon is the one name of the of the mega caps that, that candidly I've I've owned for the least least and that I've also had success with. I just haven't. The problem that I have, and you mentioned this, is the V-shaped recovery that you get in Apple. A lot of times you don't get that in Amazon because the V-shaped recovery comes from the capital allocation strategy. That's what Alphabet, that's what Microsoft, that's what Apple have in place. So that buffers your downside. Um, so as far as Amazon, it's all about, well, what are we going to do here with margins? Are we going to lift margins? Are they going to look OK? Um, as That's not the name that that I'm comfortable with. I'm cautious. I'm concerned about all these names. I agree with Brenda. I think the services revenue on Apple is going to be incredibly important to look towards. And I wonder collectively what the effect is going to be on the events that we're seeing in China. Is that going to be negative for these stocks? Or actually, is it going to be positive because you can see a lot of capital flows out of names like Tencent and Baba into these mega-cap technologies? The biggest issue is going to be what's happening with
4: cloud. So we saw a little, I wouldn't say a break, but we saw a little slowdown last quarter. Now, they're growing tremendously well, um, but we're investing in a private company, uh, Wasabi, that discounts Amazon pricing by 80%. Now, they're not a threat right now because revenues are small, but they're a window into what's going on, and Europe is frozen in their decision-making in cloud right now. So now that's a, that's a generalization, of course, they'll still grow. And if you continue to see that down, go down, do people worry about it? Does that inform their decision whether I want to buy it or sell? So that's what I'd be worried most about in terms of Google. Advertising is a leading indicator. And what you're seeing, Larry Page even shut down Kitty Hawk. So he's clearly worried about, it, and that's his personal investment. So I think there's concern everywhere. I don't recall these companies ever uniformly cutting heads. I don't remember any layoffs at all except last quarters. So how much does the market expect? That's really the
2: question. Well, we got it going on tomorrow is when it all starts. But Kevin O'Leary, before we take a break, you know, we noted our our entire team today, the production team of the number of stocks that you are selling. And it's pretty stunning, frankly. Uh, I'm going to read the list out. DocuSign, Ford, FedEx, GM, Block, Tesla, Uber, Zoom, United Health, Visa—that's a pretty marquee list of names that you're selling. What's up with that?
3: Uh, in many cases, tax loss selling, obviously, getting ahead of the game uh, because many of those many of those are down significantly uh, since uh, in the last eleven months. But there's another metric I'm going back to in times of let's call it concern about the economy's growth rate. I look at return on assets. That's when I see management really working hard on how much inventory they're carrying, how much capex they have. Return on assets is an old school measure, old school. And you watch it quarter after quarter. The companies that survive really bad recessions have very high return on assets. And so what we did is put a screen through the entire portfolio. Some of those are good companies, but what we found in the same sector was better return on assets. And we simply swapped out or planning to when we can, because I'm not sure that we've seen the bottom yet. I'm very happy about the last three, four days. That's great. But when the Fed hits us again with 75 and the narrative goes back to concern about the Fed not stopping, terminal rate being 5% or whatever it's going to be, I'll get another opportunity. But for me, going into the next 24 months, Return on assets, baby. that's what I want. I want managers that do the cuts, focus on getting return on what they're building in inventory, and making sure what every dollar they spend is not wasted. That's going to be a less volatile hold. So maybe I'm getting a little conservative. I'm okay with it. I like boring return on asset. real boring old measure. Love it.
2: I mean, it sounds like that, right? I mean, Uber, for example, Tesla, you know, Uber, some believe, has turned the corner. Uh, and it's going to be meaningful for the, the stock price. I'm, I'm also curious for the Tesla sale, what, what that says. It, why is
3: that? Look, we've made a lot of money on Tesla over the years. We always kept it a 5% weighting. Obviously, I want to see the Twitter drama play out. Um, you know, I, I was part of I had an opportunity to buy into that Twitter deal. To me, it looked chaotic. I didn't do it. Uh, I, I don't like the fact that you know he'll be forced to sell more stock. Everybody knows that, that it's probably in the stock right now. The company is a fantastic company. It's going to lead the charge in EV. There's no question about it. But my whole point is, there's no immediate reason to buy it. I can wait. I can wait till after December 31st. Nothing's going to move that stock north during tax-loss selling period. For those that bought it in more recent times, pre-Twitter drama, you got to realize where you are in the cycle. And I only look at institutional movement. There's a lot of people doing what I'm doing right now mm-hmm. that are really starting to figure out I want to reposition. I've never sold so many stocks in one period of my life, but that's because we had a lot of positions on and now we think we're in a different environment. I'm getting more conservative. I care about what I own. And, you know, I'm turning into a bit of a Steve Weiss. It's really bad. I'm turning into curmudgeon. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> turning into? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, so, so we'll debate that. Anyway, let me do this. Let me, let me take a break. <laughs> let me take a break before Weiss gets all wound up. Uh, stick with us because uh, you know the market's higher ahead of these key earnings. We do have a headliner on today who, said, who says something's got to give. We'll explain in two minutes when we're back. Dow's holding on to a 400-point gain at the moment. All right, let's check stocks. As we said, we got a 400 plus gain for the Dow, 1.3 percent, S&P adding a little steam since we've come on the air as well, as has the NASDAQ. And we've got 419 on the 10 year, the beginning of a huge week, 30 percent of the S&P, 40 percent of the Dow, all reporting earnings. And as you know, earnings thus far stronger than feared. However, our next guest, not impressed. Let's bring him in. He's Greg Branch. He's the founder and managing partner of Veritas
9: Capital. It's good to see you
2: again. You're a hard man to please.
9: Huh. <laughs> that I am, Scott, I guess. The, the, the data is what it is. Uh, it's not whether I like it or don't like it. It just is what it is. Yeah. So what's the problem with it? So the problem is, is that we're celebrating. Uh, you just said not as strong as spirit. Well, you have to remember that this quarter expectations came drastically down in the quarter itself. And so in June, we were looking at 10% earnings growth projected for the quarter. We're now at September 30th, we're looking at 2.8% earnings growth projected for the quarter. And we've experienced a blended rate of about 1.7% thus far. This week may make it different, but at the end of the day that we have managed to minimally beat expectations on a quarter where expectations came down so drastically is not cause for celebration for me.
2: And you don't think that this week, well, first of all, there are people who think that this rally has legs to go Even if they agree with you, there are those who say, well, I mean, of course he's right. Earnings are going to come home to roost eventually, but not yet. So why not ride with, you know, who you came with rather than get off altogether now?
9: I see sentiment driven reasons for people believing that the rally has legs, much like I saw in July, much like I saw at the first week of this month but I don't see any substantive data-driven reasons. At the end of the day, I try and count catalysts. I can't see a positive catalyst out there. I can see several negatives, including the fact that earnings need to come down for the fourth quarter. We're projecting 4% earnings growth off the back of this quarter, where we're experiencing 1.7%. We're we're expecting, well, consensus is expecting 8% for next year. Again, we're delivering 1.7 right now. And as the bullish argument likes to presuppose, the Fed's actions have a lag effect. Even if you don't believe that they'll do anything else after this, you still have to believe that the thing that the actions they've taken thus far will have an impact. So no how, doubt. We get from how we get from one point seven how we get from one point seven percent this quarter to eight percent next year is well beyond me. We got QT, we've got a war still going on, we've got slowdown going on in the rest of the world, we've got a strong dollar. I, I need both hands to count the negative counts. So what Scott? if I told
2: you this? Just Just simple question. I mean, if I told you everything you say makes perfect sense, a lot of people agree with you, uh, but stocks can go up 10 percent minimum between now and the end of the year. You say, I don't care. I'm going to sit it out because I know what's coming. Or how do you answer that? Because even somebody like Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley, who's been as right as you from the beginning of the year, says rates are poised to come in. Such a move could provide the necessary fuel for the next leg of the tactical rally in stocks until we get full capitulation on earnings, something we think may take a
9: few more months. And that's true. And I guess it depends on what your duration is. And so, you know, I care very little for week on week moves at the end of the day because I don't react in those Uh, timeframes. So it very may well be the case, just like we've seen with every head fake rally, that sentiment may may in fact drive that performance but at the end of the day you can't point to a data-driven substantial catalyst as to why we're moving there we've had earnings come in slightly below expectations very much lowered expectations vis-a-vis history uh, we still have all these negative catalysts to go I think we're actually going to get a very somber earnings week this week you know I disagree with Kevin on one thing while digital while digital advertising is still poised to grow and it's one of the few segments of the economy that are still poised to grow, while the cloud is still poised to grow, and you know I've long thought those safe havens, the question is not relative to everything else. The question will be relative to itself. How will investors judge that growth? And so if the the cloud decelerates more than is expected, which I think will happen, uh, investors, I think, will look upon that poorly. If digital advertising, we've already got a preview from Snap, although they are they're exposed to very unique uh, competitive forces. Uh, I think we'll see weakness across the board, particularly when you think about the dynamics of supply and demand. In the digital advertising market, we are bringing on boatloads of supply from Netflix, from Amazon, from even from Uber and Lyft. And at the end of the day, advertisers are pulling in their budgets right well, I mean, now. Netflix as selling they out there. their
2: inventory, right? I mean, advertisers are going to go where premium Premium content lies, and that's one of those properties. As are many of the ones that you suggested. And in the, in terms of you know Facebook and, and uh, Alphabet, it's a duopoly in in, in large part. So they're going to go there too.
9: Right, and I'll differentiate. You know, search is very different. Search search should always have some measure of safety. Uh, But when you're talking about other forms of digital advertising, at the end of the day, when you have lots of supply coming on and when you have the companies themselves because they're preparing, as are the banks, from a very different reality than what you and I are discussing right now, they're pulling their budgets in. Mm -hmm. And in an environment where you have supply, premium supply, as you said, coming online, that does something to the price and that does something to the earnings. Well, let me do this. Let me get
2: Kevin O'Leary, to, since you you took him on specifically um, somewhat, let me let him respond to you.
3: Where we would disagree is you're not taking into account the massive shift direct to consumer that occurred during the pandemic i don't care if your business doing five million you're a nike doing billions you have done a huge digital pivot and what's happened what used to be retail is now become direct consumer where you get data. Data is the new oil. And so in order to get new consumers and get your CAC, your customer acquisition costs lower. The only way to do that is with digital advertising. Facebook has a unique attribute in its geolocked advertising feature that lets you price differently in Florida versus Texas. But also the Apple privacy laws have made the way you use Google and Facebook differently. You smash data together with it. I have doing this across 56 companies now. Our digital spend is not going down because we understand our CAC. So if you don't take into account the fact that every company in America wants to sell direct to its customer, not through Amazon if they can help it, the only way they get that customer during this period, even during a recession, is using digital advertising. We'll find out who's right. But this was not the case 30 months ago. It is now. America has changed how it sells its product to its customers.
9: Last word. I don't, I don't disagree at all with the secular tailwind. As I said at the beginning of this discussion, it has long been a place where I sought safe haven. What I'm disagreeing with is that the deceleration that we're going to see there this quarter, and I've already seen with Snap, is going to be larger than I think that the market anticipates. And I think that that's going to be a reason for some skepticism on these companies in the near term.
2: All right. We'll leave it there. Greg, appreciate it as always. That's Greg Branch joining us. Let's get the headlines now from Frank Holland. Hi, Frank.
6: Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Salman Rushdie's agent says the the author lost sight in one eye and the use of a hand as he recovers from an August attack. Rushdie suffered three serious wounds to his neck and 15 more wounds to his chest and his torso when a man attacked him on stage at a literary event in western New York. A central Philippine airport remains shut down after a Korean plane overshot a runway during rainy weather the night before. No injuries are being reported among the 162 passengers and 11 crew members who escaped that aircraft after that close call. Korean Air is bound to take steps to prevent a recurrence of that event. And the Republican National Committee is filing a lawsuit against Google, alleging the tech company is suppressing its email solicitations ahead of the midterm elections. Google denies the accusation that it unfairly sends the group's emails to spam folders of potential donors and supporters. In a statement, Google denied the charges, saying they simply don't filter emails based on political affiliation. That's the very latest. Scott, back over All right,
2: Good stuff, Frank. Thank you. That's Frank Collins. Still ahead right here, why tech ETF investors aren't fleeing despite the declines. Plus, a bullish call today on one Dow stock. Kevin O'Leary owns it. He is adding to it as well. And don't miss Mike Santoli's midday word. We're back right after this.
0: And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Tech ETFs are down big this year, but investors are not fleeing from them. Why not? Let's talk to Anna Paglia. She's the global head of ETFs and index strategies at Invesco. Anna, you run the, the largest tech ETF, the QQQ Trust. That's the NASDAQ 100. We talk about it every day here it's down 31% this year, and yet there's no outflows at all. It's near 17-year highs in terms of the shares outstanding. Other big tech funds, S&P Tech, Cathie Wood's ARC Fund, also no big outflows this year. Why are investors so loyal to tech despite the big drops?
10: Well, this, uh, this is a story about growth. So you don't assess growth in the moment, but you look at growth over a uh, Market cycle, so you have to ask yourself who is going to be relevant in the next five years or 10 years and 15 years. And you know that two years ago, when we started seeing cracks in technology, we did not step away from growth. We doubled down. We brought QQQJ to market, which is the next generation QQQ. And in the last two years, those three products have brought the most assets and were the most successful launches. Yeah, you. So been, there is a loyalty associated with these.
0: You have been very successful with these QQQ products. You've got a whole suite of them. You launched a new one a couple of weeks ago, the Nasdaq Future Gen 200. This is a, an equal-weighted of portfolio of stocks based on the value of the patent portfolios. Why suddenly are patent portfolios so valuable in, in technology today? Why do you start a whole ETF? This is, uh, this,
10: this is a fascinating topic, and you really have to—we we look at the amount of money that companies spend in research and development, because we believe that those small-cap companies that are investing in research and development, translating into patents, are those companies that are going to be most relevant in five years or ten years. If you think about uh, uh, Amazon, if you think about Tesla— if this fund existed, Tesla would have been in the fund in 2011. Or think about Amazon. Amazon, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, was a place where you would buy books. You still buy books on Amazon today, but there is so much more. So it's the the patents. That's correct. That's what they have. That's a strong indication. We're
0: going to talk a lot more about this, much more on growth and technology coming up with Anapalia on ETF Edge. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time. She'll be joined by Dave Nautic. She's the financial, he's the financial futurist at Vetify. We'll also be discussing where yield hungry investors have been putting their money in the ETF space, including Bank loans, big topic right now. ETFEdge.cmbc.com. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Halftime returns right after this.
1: Some breaking news on Apple. Our Steve Kovac has that for us. Steve, what do we know? Hey there, Scott. Yeah, Apple is uh, increasing prices on some of its services like Apple Music and uh, Apple TV Plus. They're raising prices about a buck a month uh, for each of these. So Apple TV Plus is going from $5.99 to $6.99 a month. Music going from 9.99, dollars 99 which is pretty much a standard for these music subscription services, up to $10.99. And then the Apple One bundle, Scott, that's the bundle with like Fitness Plus and iCloud Storage, plus all those other streaming services. Those are increasing, too, the individual plan up to 1695 and the uh, family plan up to 3295. So look, we've seen Apple raising prices Scott uh, th- throughout the second half of this year to combat inflation and foreign exchange headwinds. Just a couple weeks ago, App Store prices increased across the EU where the dollar is especially strong, and of course, iPhones got a price increase in those countries too, Scott. All right. Steve, thank you. I guess I mean when Thanks. you're
2: a premium brand like they are, you have premium, Joe, pricing power. And they're going to use it every bit that they can until they can't.
7: That's going to have, as I was just saying to Stephen in the break, that's going to have a positive margin effect as we move down uh, the cycle here. And inflation ultimately begins to moderate, not just for Apple, for other companies. Let's
2: talk about our call of the day, too. Uh, I wanted to get to that, um, you know, despite the breaking news that we had. It's uh, Kevin Wells Fargo calls Disney their favorite name in media. You, in fact, bought more Disney and you actually initiated a position in Netflix, I understand
3: yes um i need to have exposure to streaming streaming is never going away and it will continue to encroach on standard network and on cable that's forever so the decision becomes if you want to build a portfolio and you want some diversification where do you go there's two choices netflix and disney in my view now it doesn't mean there may be others but those others are in a terrible situation where they have to spend to catch up on the content that netflix clearly has and that Disney already had that's converting to streaming. So my bet is those two will be the granddaddy index stocks in streaming going forward. Why not own them? Why not take positions there? Mm-hmm. And the rest, if you want to fill around the edges. But Disney has is, is always been in this, this transitional narrative for the last three years, ever since Iger left. I think it's done its transition. I think they clearly know how to monetize. I think they have pricing power. I think they have content. And I also still like the theme park business. And people basically don't even think that has any value anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just focusing on streaming. So I like Disney and they've okay. added to it. And I have definitely bought on some Netflix here. Stock is inexpensive compared to where it was just a year ago.
2: Well, that's for sure. Brenda, you own Disney as well. What do you think about this call? Favorite name, Wells Fargo. Price target 145 That's a big jump from where it is now.
5: We like the call and I would agree with many of uh Kemba's comments. You know, this is a company that is not just a streaming company, however. They have an entire ecosystem where they really develop a long-lasting relationship with their customer, have a lot of licensing opportunities for characters, and really within that, um, within that streaming realm, you know, just have an incredible catalog of content that's there that really will dampen some of this hit-driven volatility that I think we're gonna continue to see throughout the industry. But really think that, that Disney is very well positioned here would consider it a favorite name at this point.
2: Weiss, no Disney, no Netflix? That is correct. But if you get more bullish on the market itself, are these names that I, you I'd would go consider? to Netflix
4: before I went to Disney, and I've thought of going to Netflix. If it pulls back, uh, I would buy some Netflix. Disney, on the other hand, uh, and this strictly from a curmudgeonly viewpoint, Keep in mind. The only one Um, you have. It's trading at at about 150 times free cash flow. Thank God it was self-described for once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I I know what I am. Um, (laughs) uh, Better late than never. but, but But I suggest Kevin has to know what he is because this is a company that's very expensive on an EBITDA basis and on a free cash flow basis. And if you like return on those categories, old school Ken. Uh, I, Kevin, you got to buy these. So, so right now, O’Leary, you’re dead to me.
2: That's all, I'm gonna say. <laughs> all right, Mike Santoli, we’re gonna take a quick break. Santoli’s next with his midday word. We’ll do it after this. Welcome back to the half. We're holding on to nice gains of Mike Santoli down at the stock exchange for his midday word. He, of course, our senior markets commentator yields down economic news down stocks up. Is that pretty simple?
1: It is pretty simple characterized that way, Scott, although I've been focused, as you know, for a a while now on the evolving relationship between what equities are up to and what the bond market is doing. So, yeah, yields down, but you have to squint to see it. To me, it's more just a matter of if they show less upside momentum uh, in yields, uh, if it's not seen as uh, reflecting a runaway Fed that needs to derail the economy in a harsh way. That's what really bothers equity markets. It's not 4.2% on the 10-year in itself as a number, as a hurdle rate. Uh, and we know this because we were at this level, of the S&P, back when we were well under 4% on the 10-year. So I think that's that's the push-pull we're observing right here. You see things like industrials and financials outperforming on a month-to-date basis, up 7% or so. You can you know say that's for specific reasons in those sectors, but that's not a terrible backdrop, uh, given all that we've been dealing with in terms of all the leading indicators of recession flaring. All that being said, we're still under 3,800 in the S&P. You got to get above that for this to change uh, from something like just an oversold bounce.
2: I mean, when you got bears like Mike Wilson suggesting that you could have more of a rally, you got to take note. It's kind of um, representative of how negative things got and how people suggesting that there could be a turnaround in part as a result of that.
1: Well, for sure. Uh, I mean, and that's because so many of the inputs get you in that direction, at least in the near term tactically, that, which we all know about the seasonals and the fact that really nobody is overextended long expecting good news. If they're long, it's because they feel like things have just gotten overdone or there's long term value being created. So that's why a lack of good economic news is not in itself something uh, that creates an extra wave of selling, at least not right now.
2: All right. I'll see you in a few hours. We'll size up what's all at right. stake. All the marbles. This week with all those earnings, Mike, I'll see you in a bit. That's Mike Santoli. We do have that big sell off in Chinese stocks today as well. Kevin O'Leary owns some of those names. At least we think he still does, which which is why we'll talk to him next. All right. Welcome back. A huge sell off today in Chinese stocks like the ones you see on your screen here, which makes you want to go to you on this, um, Kevin O'Leary. You know, President Xi, he tightens his grip on power. These stocks are down a lot. You still own Baba and Tencent? And if so, why and what are you going to do?
3: So, um, the narrative on the stock is about marching out a Chinese official. I don't know what happened to him, probably not a good thing, and this clench of power from His Highness, the Supreme Leader. However, nobody's talking about the growth rates of these companies. These companies service, and, and if you look at the equivalent state side, Spotify and Amazon. They service the rest of the world, which is growing even faster than our domestic markets. And so, yes, you have to deal with volatility. I'm not happy today. This has nothing to do with the metrics of the companies themselves. That has a lot to do with the fact that Supreme Leader is yeah, well, starting to look. I mean, it's not changing the demand for music of Chinese no, people what, or their but, demand to buy services.
2: Yeah, but, but you're underscoring what part of the problem is. You say no one's talking about the tremendous growth rates because it doesn't matter necessarily with The things that we've already seen happen in China that has driven down stock prices before, the fundamentals don't matter. That's why some say that these stocks are uninvestable to begin with.
3: Well, I heard that narrative last year when everybody said they're gonna get delisted off the U.S. exchanges. That never happened either. Look, there's a lot of reasons to hate these stocks. Growth rate's not one of them. Now, it's sitting in a portfolio, I'm not happy. But on the other hand, if I wanna buy growth and I wanna get exposure to one of the world's largest economies, What choice do I have? So I'm going to stick with these things, and we'll see what happens. Ten seconds, Weiss. Kevin, I've tried and tried to get you out of this. Look, you
4: only own a right to the revenue stream. You own no assets in this company. It's a Cayman shell, essentially. And if you think that you're going to be able to go and litigate in China to get what you think they owe you with the relationship the way it is, this should be at zero. All right, we got to go. We do have to take a break. We'll come back with Final Trades next.
2: All right. Overtime, four o'clock Eastern. We'll call, we'll call it the calm before the storm. We've got all those earnings coming the rest of the week. Eric Jackson, Aaron Brown, Dan Greenhouse, Bryn Talkington, Alex Kantrowicz. So Bryn owns Meta. We're going to talk to her about that. We'll talk to Alex Kantrowicz about this Gerstner letter, uh, what he thinks might actually happen at, at Meta, if anything. We'll size up those tech earnings with Eric Jackson. Aaron Brown, too, has a big headline on this market as well. So, Brenda, what's your quick final trade?
5: It's Honeywell. I think this one's really going to be a standout within the industrial space, especially given their exposure to the things like um, uh, uh, automation, okay. uh, which is going to be incredibly relevant.
4: All right. Steve Weiss. Pfizer, just too cheap to pass up. I want some equity exposure, by the way. I took off all my edges and sold TBF. Okay, but you bought Pfizer. I did buy Pfizer, okay. yes. All right. Joe. Regions Financial.
2: Okay. Uh, Mr. Wonderful.
3: Disney, I love it going to the holidays. Love the theme parks. Love watching Shark Tank on Hulu. Love the streaming business. <laughs> all
2: right figure we get a plug in there. Uh, it's good to see you again. Uh, let's just touch the markets real quick too, where we uh, are holding on to a sizable gain today. We will see if it holds until I see all in overtime. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.
5: Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.